It's all good. I want to get in the message this morning. How many are ready to get in the Word? Oh, I'll remind you of some things at the end of the message anyhow. So, Lord, thank you for the message this morning. Thank you for the ability we have to break open and dig into your Word. Lord, I pray over this message. I pray that it's filled with your presence. I pray that it's your Word spoken and not mine, your thoughts and not mine. Lord, let you be glorified in every area of ministry this morning. Thank you for your Holy Spirit being alive and, and, and active in our worship. Lord, we pray over our kids' ministry. We pray over the youth tonight. We pray over the Word this morning. Let it stay with us. Thank you. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, we will share some announcements later on. If you want to go to... Mike, it says Galatians. We're going to go one slide at a time, so don't move forward until I, until I let you know. But throughout this last month, we have really seen what was the testimony of Saul, who was also called the Apostle Paul, right? So we saw a part of his journey from this dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus, right? That dramatic conversion. And then the experience last week with him confronting sin in the church. How many were here last week? You remember what I was talking about? Confronted sin in the church. Confronted Peter. One of the church leaders confronted sin, right? He continually comes back to the truth that our righteousness is only attained, only achieved by the blood of Jesus. If it's through the law, Paul says Christ died for nothing. If it's through being good enough, Christ died for nothing. If it's through how much I give to charities, then Christ died for nothing. I, I think about uh, this last week, actually. There's a woman named Mackenzie Scott. I don't know if you're familiar with who she is. She used to be the wife of Jeff Bezos. She's a billionaire. She gave 400, I want to say $36 million. $436 million to Habitat for Humanity. You think, wow, what a great organization, right? What a, I mean, they really do some good things. They help provide housing for the poor. Uh, on that note, she gave $275 million to Planned Parenthood to help people plan abortions. And then she gave a billion here. and a billion. She's given so much money away, and she's doing all this philanthropy and, and, and helping humanity, right? Where are our priorities? That was a rabbit trail. If it's all through good works, if it's just through how holy can I be? Not, not, not how holy Christ is, but how holy David is. Can I share something with you? Not that holy. <laughs> Pretty messed up. How many can raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I messed up too? Who just shouted? Was that Reagan? Reagan said, me too. <laughs> we saw clearly the account of Paul calling out Peter concerning this hypocrisy that was happening as it relates to the Gentiles. And, and now we see that Paul is done sharing his testimony in Galatians and, and now will address the issues of the Galatian church head on. He starts this in chapter 3, and he starts it in this way, in chapter 3, verse 1, that says this, O foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What a way to address the church. The early church, what a way. Oh, foolish Galatians. 
I once had a pastor preach on this. And uh, the way he started out was by addressing the congregation as foolish. He said, and this was, uh, this was back in Michigan, so, Oh, foolish Michiganders. Oh, foolish Iowans is, is how you would relate to it, right? I still remember him saying this. He, and, and he was trying to use this to make his point, right? But he would say this. He would say he would use other synonyms for foolish. So he would say, oh, foolish Christians. And then he would say this, and, and I don't want you to be offended. He would say, oh, stupid Christians. Alex, his mouth is open right now. Just, I can't believe you said that. Let me see. Not everybody responds very well to that, right? How many know that's not always a great way to address the church? In commentary, there's one pastor who translated the verse into this. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. Isn't that kind of funny? Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. How many, how many know, uh, how, how many respond to being called stupid? Not many, right? Not positively. How many respond to being called idiot? No? I don't either, so keep that in mind while I'm preaching. All right, so here's the thing. Uh, if one Sunday I came up here and just said, hey, listen, dum-dums, I want to share something with you. How many are going to respond to that? Probably not. Maybe, maybe a few. Braxton, you're going to respond to that? No. Uh, Braxton, sure. Listen, dum-dums, I want to share some truth with you. I doubt that you would receive that very well, right? So you think, why in the world would Paul address the church in this way? Why would, Paul, why would Paul address the church as you foolish Galatians? To understand that, you have to look at the language that was being used. Now, I like what uh, one commentary tells us. In calling the Galatians foolish, Paul used uh, a word that we need to be aware of. Okay, So there are two words for the word foolish. One is moros. How many, how many say moros? Where do you think, what, what word comes out of moros? moron, right? So we think about somebody being morally or mentally deficient, the Greek word moros, right? But Paul doesn't use that word here. That word is used plenty of times in the New Testament. It's used in talking about foolish people. But when it comes to this, when it comes to Paul addressing the church, he uses the, uh, the word anotos. Say anotos. This is different than being stupid or being dumb or being an idiot or being a moron. It's the idea of someone who can think but fails to use their power of perception. It's someone who can think, someone who, who clearly can think and believe but hasn't used their power of perception. What Paul was telling the Galatians were this, you know what's being taught. They had the knowledge, they had the understanding, but they were not using the knowledge and the understanding. Paul says, you know these things to be true, who has deceived you? Who has led you astray? Who has taken you down a different path? Verse 2 says this. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 3 says, are you so foolish? There's that word again. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected 
by the flesh. Paul has some great questions here that have clear answers, right? So, how many have been regenerated by the Spirit? Anybody? Come on. If you're saved this morning, if you've asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, you are regenerated by the Spirit. I know that's maybe a, a different kind of concept here. But it's by the Spirit that we are being perfected, not by our flesh. It's by the Spirit that we are being made righteous. Not by how many good things we do. As we are made righteous by the Spirit, how many know, as we're made righteous, as we grow, as we mature, our flesh should fall in line. Right? As we, as we lift the Spirit up, as the Spirit gets stronger, our flesh gets weaker. As we get into the Word, as we get into prayer, our spirit gets stronger and our flesh gets weaker. So many times we get into this mindset that if we just do enough right things, if we just do enough good things, we can be good enough. If we just give enough to good causes, if we just speak nicely to our neighbors, if we just speak nicely to our coworkers, if we are just good, and I put quotation marks, good. If we could just fill in the blank. Verse 4 says this. I'm going to go 4 through 7. It says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham, and, and now we're going we're to get into this. Just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Paul points to the early church as one that has gone through some things. They've gone through some suffering. Clearly the church in Galatia has gone through some persecution. And he asked this question, was it all for nothing? Was it all for nothing? You've been persecuted. As an early church, they have been persecuting. Now he says, was it all for nothing? And then he points to Abraham. Say Abraham. Say Father Abraham. And many sons. Many sons said, Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. How did it go? Right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot, dance around, something, something. I don't know. I'm not a dancer. He is the father of Judaism. He believed God. He simply believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, it's pointed out in commentary that Abraham was counted as righteous long before. And remember, we've talked about a lot the last few weeks. We've talked about the covenant of circumcision. Long before the covenant of circumcision was put in place, Abraham was counted as righteous. So this aspect of Judaism that they've placed such a high demand on, this, remember this early church, they're placing such a high demand on these new converts being circumcised and following the law. They're, they're, they're saying this is really, really important. Paul is saying, hold on a second. This wasn't even observed by their spiritual father Abraham, so why are you putting such importance on it? Then Paul makes a statement specifically aimed at upsetting those who place such a high value on Judaism. How many know there's times where you, like, you make a statement and you know it's going to make some people mad? Anybody been there? Anybody, anybody here like to rock the boat a little bit? 
Mikey, put your hand down. Specific statement aimed at upsetting those who are in place such high value. Verse 7 says this. Know then that it is those of the faith that are the sons of Abraham. Know then that it is those of the faith, not faith in Judaism, but faith in Christ, that are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Now hear this clearly, because we're about to we're going to get into some stuff here. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, a man of faith, or the man of faith. Verse 7 is one of the keys of the Christian faith. It is those of faith, those with faith in Jesus, who are the sons of Abraham. When we sing, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them and so are you. I would say, let's say sons and daughters. Is that good? Sons and daughters of Abraham, right? That we are under the blessing of Abraham. What Paul is speaking about here is what we call our identity. Who are we as believers? What we are beginning to understand is our identity as believers. And so we're going to dig into some really meaty stuff here. How many, how many appreciate milk, but you like meat once in a while, right? I like meat. Okay, it, it, it takes, uh, listen, there's milk for believers to grow, and then there's meat for believers to grow even more, right? Once you get to a certain maturity, you can handle that meat, you begin to digest it, you begin to work through it, right? It takes some time to chew on. How many ever heard something that you go, I need to chew on that a little bit? To understand the meat of where Paul is headed here, we have to go all the way into the book of John in chapter 8. So, We're going to leave Galatians for a little bit. We're going to go to John chapter 8. Now, we're not going to go there yet. Go back. Go back one slide, Mike. There we go. So we're still here, but John chapter 8. Let me set the picture for what's happening here. For those who are familiar with John chapter 8, at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus is brought a woman by the religious crowd of leaders called the scribes and the Pharisees. Okay, this woman is naked. He has brought this woman who is naked, who is unclothed, who who is likely bloody and bruised at this point, and they bring her and throw her down at the feet of Jesus. She has been caught in the act of adultery. I I want to make sure this is clear. She was not rumored to be in adultery, but she was caught in the act of adultery. We don't have any uh, small ears here this morning, right? We have, uh, there's a few in the back there, but they don't know. So it's okay. Uh, how many know that she was caught in the act? It wasn't rumor. It wasn't hearsay. It wasn't, well, I think this might have happened. They caught her in the very act, and they brought her naked, ashamed, and entirely guilty. Say guilty. How many know sometimes you're just guilty, Right? Sometimes it drives me up a wall to watch these court cases where you know they did it. Oh, no, not guilty. How many, how many know what I'm talking about, right? Just tell the truth. Well, no, they've got to work the loopholes and try to get out of the system. And, and I understand because nobody wants to go to jail. But how many know there's some people just guilty? She was entirely guilty. And it seems clear from the get-go that this is a setup. 
I mean, oh, sometimes it's a setup. I was, uh, this, boy, I didn't intend to go here, but I'm going to. I was in college. I'm in the dorms. And I walked into a room. I walked into a dorm room. It was my, my friend's dorm room. And my friend's name was Sam. And so I walked into my friend Sam's dorm room, and Sam wasn't there. But his roommate was there with some of his friends. And his friends were talking, and, and, and they're talking about Sam. And they're talking bad things about Sam. And I come in the room, and I say, hey, is Sam there? He says, no. But I, I can hear they're talking bad things about Sam. They're going off on him. And they say, oh, well, yeah, Sam did this, and Sam did that. And what about Sam and this Sam, 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 Sam? Right? And I go, guys, he's supposed to be our friend. If you have a problem with Sam, let's talk to Sam. But I'm not going to sit here, stand here, and listen to you badmouth him. At that moment, the closet door opened in the room, and it was Sam. I kid you not. Sam had been hiding in the closet. He had gone in... <laughs> and my first thought was, what in the world? Sam, come out of the closet. Relax. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it wasn't that. Uh, but it was, one of those, it was one of those weird things where he just came out and he, he looked at me. He looked at them and he looked at me and he goes, he looked at me and he goes, I know you're my true friend. I thought, oh, this is strange. <laughs> what an odd way to find out. But it was like I, I walked into a setup. How many have ever been set up before? Maybe not to that, in that type of situation, but you feel like you've been set up. How many know that if you haven't been set up by people, you've been set up by the enemy? There's so many times where you, man, I'm just surfing the web. I'm just, I'm just looking at stupid stuff on Yahoo, and all of a sudden something pops up. That's a setup. Don't fall for that. Oh, well, I'm just having fun with the ladies, drinking coffee, having a good time, and and now all of a sudden it starts to delve into gossip and backbiting, and that's a setup. Don't get into that. We have to recognize that at times the enemy tries to set us up. Jesus is being set up here in John chapter 8. They bring her to Jesus for him to judge her according to the law of Moses. Now there's a couple of really messed up things with this encounter that I think we have to talk about. One is this. She was caught in the act of adultery, right? Where was the man? Uh-oh. Just started something. Where was the man? If she was caught in the act, where was the man? He wasn't even being put on trial, though he was guilty, too. How many know that's true, right? Two, this is weird. For someone to catch her in the act meant that they had set her up as well. It meant that there was somebody standing outside the door or listening in the window. So that when things got going, they could break in and catch her in the act. It's entirely messed up that these religious leaders set it up and now they are confronting Jesus with this issue. Now, if you're not familiar at all with what happens, it's pretty amazing. Jesus stoops down in the dirt and begins writing in the dirt. We don't know what he's writing, but the Bible says that they are testing him. They say, Jesus, what should we do with this woman? The law of Moses says to do this. What do you say we should do, right? And so they are testing him. He stands up and he speaks the famous words. 
How many know what they are? Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Very famous words of Jesus, right? And then he stoops down and begins to write in the dirt again. Nobody knows what he wrote. There's speculation about what he wrote. There's theorizing about what he wrote. I liked what one pastor said. He said, I wonder if he was writing down the sins of the men who were around him. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone and just stoops down and he starts writing some more. The Bible says one by one they dropped their stones. They wanted to stone her. They wanted to kill her. They drop their stones and they leave. So now it's just the woman there. And he tells her to go and continue on in her life. Just continue what you're doing. Just next time, don't get caught. Anybody? Tells her to go and sin no more. There's so much grace and so much goodness and so much go. You're not not in danger of death. Go and sin no more. Live in righteousness is what he's telling her. It's an incredible act of grace. It's this fantastic account in the word, but it's not what the sermon is about today. What I want to focus on is what happens after all of this. So this happens, the account with the woman caught in the act. The Bible tells us that Jesus went and spoke to these religious leaders again. All those who dropped their stones, he goes after them. Now, it's likely that they had huddled together after they left the woman, and they were still figuring out how to set Jesus up, right? They're probably in the corner of the temple somewhere, just like, okay, here's what we got to do. That didn't work. We got to do something else, right? That didn't work. We got to do something else. So I'm doing a bit of speculating here, but it seems that Jesus went looking for them. And when he finds them, he speaks these words to them. I am the light of the world. I love what Jesus says here. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says it it gets the attention of these religious leaders. It, it, It begins a series of discussions between them and Jesus that leads to where we need to go this morning. All of this is really interesting, and honestly, I have preached on it. Uh, either I've preached on it before, I'm going to preach on it at some point in the future. So uh, let's move forward to the end of the discussion, because throughout this account, Jesus is dropping some big hints that he is God. Throughout the account, I mean, he's dropping big hints that he is God. He tells them about his father. He tells them that he's from above. He says, if you abide in him, then you are his disciples, that you will know the truth and it will set you free, right? He's dropping some pretty big hints here. They hear this and they respond with dropping the name. How many ever know someone that drops names? Anybody? I mean, they like to prove how important they are by who they know. Well, you know, when I was growing up, I was really good friends with dot, dot, dot. Dave Ogren was here. Uh, When was Dave Ogren here? Just a few months ago. And we had dinner together. And we were talking about football. We were talking about Minneapolis football. We were talking about Vikings football. And the quarterback of the Vikings, I don't know if he is anymore, but it's Kirk Cousins. 
Kirk Cousins is from my hometown. This is real. He's from Holland, Michigan. He went to Holland Christian High School. Um, so I'm talking to Dave Ogren about this. And Dave Ogren and I were talking, and he goes, yeah, so he really went to Holland. And he goes, yeah, actually, him and his family and my family were really close. We do Christmases together. And he goes, man, you do? I go, no. <laughs> no. I was just having a little bit of fun with Dave Ogren, but because that's the thing. It's, it's fun to kind of say those things once in a while, right? Dave looked at me. He's like, you got me. How many of you never know someone that likes to drop names to make it seem that they're important, right? This is what the people do here. They drop a name. The key here is this, and they say this, and there's truth to this. We are the offspring of Abraham, is what they say. They drop the name Abraham. Oh, you're the offspring of Abraham. They do this for a, a few reasons. One, it is their go-to response almost all the time. Don't you understand? We're the sons of Abraham. Abraham is a figure of high importance. We're sons of Abraham. When I was in car sales, I worked in car sales. I worked for Honda for, for quite a few years. And, and the owner of the company was a state senator. His name is Butch. Butch is a state senator. Now he's actually, I think he's in the running for lieutenant governor of, of, of Georgia. Okay, so uh, he's high up, an important political person. He was a Senate pro tem in the, in the Georgia Senate. Big, big name, and he was around a lot at the dealership. He was our boss. Sometimes we did political events and things for him, right? But here's what would happen. Every once in a while, somebody would come in looking to buy a car, and they'd come in and say, hey, I'm a friend of Butch. We called them FOBs. Don't read into that. That's what we called them because they were friends of Butch, right? Don't get your mind in a bad place now. But that's what we called them. So, oh, oh this guy came in and said, hey, I'm a friend of Butch. I go, oh, okay, a friend of Bush, that's great. How do you know him? Well, we go back a long way. And so I'd go to Butch's office, and oftentimes he was there, and he goes, hey, Butch, just so you know, there's somebody here who's here to see you. He says, you're a friend. He goes, and here's what he would do. He'd go to his door, and he'd kind of peer around the corner. And he'd look, i go, I don't know that guy. Butch, he says he's been your best friend for like 12 years or something like that. He goes, yeah, I don't know him. He goes, he goes, I'll come out and shake his hand and things like that. But, yeah, I didn't know him. They, so they thought they would get a discount. They thought they would get special treatment. They thought they would get this, this, and this because they dropped the name friend of Butch. This is what the people are doing here. I'm, I'm a son of Abraham. It's what they leaned on. It was their identity. To, to be a son of Abraham means that you were part of the blessing of Abraham. How many know about the blessing of Abraham? We're not, we're not there yet, but we're going to get there. It meant wealth, it meant power, it meant influence, it meant importance. They say, Abraham is our father, and Jesus responds, I love this, by telling them, your real father is the devil. They say, whoa, no, Abraham's our father, and he's like, your father's the devil. Uh, 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 come on, anybody tracking with me right now? He says, your this, Jesus says to them, you're trying to kill me, and I am from the Father, and you pretend to speak as those who are under the blessing of Abraham? You pretend to speak as one who has blessings simply because of your lineage? Simply because of your ancestry? If it's, if it's only because of your lineage, it's only because of your ancestry. And, and the thing is this, it's not. 
No, no, they were trying to claim an authority that they simply didn't have, but they thought they did. Now, next week, I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss it. Okay, we're going to, I'm not even ending the sermon yet, but next week we're going to get into lineage and ancestry and adoption and blessing, and I promise you, you're not going to want to miss it. It is some awesome, awesome stuff. But let me just say this for now. Just because they had the blood of Abraham did not mean they couldn't forfeit the blessing of Abraham. Just because they had the blood of Abraham didn't mean they couldn't forfeit the blessing of Abraham. So they smugly respond to Jesus by asking if Jesus has a demon. That takes some uh, guts. They look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, you have a demon? And Jesus responds in this way. I don't seek my own glory, but of the one who sent me. That's the Father, right? And if you keep my word, he says these words, you will never taste death. The Jewish leaders respond. Now we see in eight, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 52. Go to the next slide there, Mike. It says this. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Verse 54, Jesus answered and said, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me by whom you say he is our God. Verse 55 says, But you have not known him. I know him. You have not known him. These are the sons of Abraham. These are the religious leaders. These are the Pharisees. These are the scribes. And Jesus says, you have not known him, but I have known him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Jesus is calling them out. Jesus isn't pulling punches. First, he says, your father isn't Abraham. Your father's the devil. If I were lying, I'd be like you. Jesus isn't pulling punches. In, in, and to be honest with you, he's putting his very life in danger. And he's knowingly doing so. Verse 56 says this. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. I want you to think about the impact of that statement right there. My father or your father Abraham, right? We talk about Father Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, verse 57, they're confused. You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? You're not 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This is uh, mind-blowing. The implications of what Jesus is saying here are mind-blowing. So many times we get into this, 
we're reading scripture, we hear the story, we've read it before, we know what's going on, we've heard it time and time and time again, so we've become a little bit callous to it. Think about being in that day. Think about Jesus speaking to these religious leaders, these people that are going and want to kill him. And he says this, he, he, he blows their mind with this, these words, before Abraham was, I am. Now you say that the significance of the words I am might be lost on you. Jesus is telling them that at some point in the life of Abraham, Abraham encountered Jesus. That at some point in the life of Abraham, Abraham encountered Jesus. Not only that, but Jesus, uh, if he was hinting that he was God before, now he just drops the bomb with I am. Before Abraham was, I am. You need to understand how sacred those words are to the Jewish people. Those words, I am, when Moses inquired of the voice of God in the burning bush, who he was, the Lord responded, I am. It was what they held on to dearly. And for Jesus to declare that he was I am means this. Not only was he revealed to Abraham, but he was revealed to Moses. I don't want to get in the weeds here about too many things, but Jesus is revealing himself as God. And in the limited way that we can understand the Trinity, we can see that Jesus was in the burning bush. He was in the voice directing Abraham. He was active in directing Noah. He spoke to the prophets. Jesus was active in creation. Jesus didn't just speak the word. Jesus was the word. Amen? He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. He is the first. He is the last. To declare that he is I am is to show them he is God. And in doing so, speaking those words, they become enraged and they try to kill him. For him to speak those words falsely was blasphemous. And for him to speak those words truly for them was simply unbelievable. The Bible tells us that he simply hides himself and walks out of the temple. Why didn't they kill him? Because it wasn't his time yet. He was not being controlled or directed by them. Listen to this carefully. Jesus was not being controlled or directed by them. He was in control of the confluence of events that would culminate in him being brought to Calvary. We talked about this on Wednesday night. If you haven't joined our Wednesday night classes, you should be there. Wednesday night's at 630 We've been talking about discipleship and what it means. We talked about all the events that led to Jesus. All the events in history, all that had to happen in order for this perfect moment where Jesus reaches out to us. He would not be nailed to a tree until his appointed time. Understand this morning that Jesus was not just a teacher. He was not just a carpenter. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a figure in history. He is not just a story, and he is not just a man. He is the risen King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? He is to be worshipped and adored and glorified because he is I am. So now, with this understanding, 
we come back to Galatians. And I want to start back in verse 7. It says this. Know then that those of faith, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Verse 8, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all nations shall be blessed. Verse 9 says, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul is telling the Galatians this incredible truth that would be offensive to the Jewish mind. He's saying that Gentile believers are just as blessed as Jewish believers. That Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers, are just as blessed as Jewish believers. In verses 10 to 14, we get back into where our righteousness comes from. And I want to say this. We have covered this sufficiently over multiple messages, so we're not going to cover it again, but let us read through it together. Verse 10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 12, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who, come, who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise spirit through faith. Again, we see we are free from the law. We've gone over this a few weeks now. How many know we're free from the law? Amen? Right? We don't want to be under the law, but here Paul reminds us that those who rely on the law are not, they're under a curse because the law gives no true righteousness. And so Jesus becomes the curse for us, and now the blessing on Abraham is also a blessing for us. Say amen. How many know the blessing of Abraham is a blessing for us? What Paul is talking about here isn't just freedom from the law. He's specifically showing them the difference and us the difference between living under the law and living under what's called the promise. Say the promise. There's living under the law and then there's living under the promise. I can't tell you what a blessing it is to live under the promise. How many are so glad you live under the promise, right? We live under grace to live not blessed because of my works, but blessed by the works of Jesus on the cross. I think this is a perfect place to pause, to think about the cross. In a few weeks, we are in the Easter season, we're going to be getting into what leads up to the cross and why the cross is so important. If you understand Galatians, you understand that we are set free by the blood of Jesus, right? Not because of the law, but because of his blood. And there's a lot to digest here, and, and even more so next week, as we get this clear understanding of who we are under Jesus and what it means for us to come under the blessing of Abraham. How many, know, how many want to know what it means to be blessed? To come under Jesus, to come under grace, to come under faith, is to come under blessing. And we're going to talk about this next week, to, to be adopted into the faith of Abraham, to be grafted into the faith of Abraham, and what that means. Will you stand with me this morning?
We have Wednesday night class. We have youth tonight, 6 p.m. Remember, this Thursday is the volunteer dinner. Uh, volunteer dinner, uh, if you helped serve at all as a volunteer at the Hillcrest at 6 p.m., where we have the volunteer dinner. Uh, if you don't know about it, if you need to ask questions about it, please do so. And then keep in mind our baby bottle campaign is still going on. As we move towards Easter, I w- Jenny, I, I'm, I was just overwhelmed this morning by worship. We are reminded of the goodness of God. We are reminded of the goodness of God. As we move towards Easter, I pray that you are reminded of the goodness and grace and love of Jesus. As we move towards uh, recognizing yearly what he did for us on the cross, we recognize that he is not a dead man, but he is alive and well this morning. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords, right? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back in righteousness. He's coming back with justice. He's coming back for his bride. Amen? The lengths God went to bring you into relationship with him, to be included in what we call the promise. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that we are part of the promise. Lord, I thank you that we are called sons and daughters of Abraham. Lord, as we get into this series and what it, can, what it means for our lives and what it means for our identity, let us be reminded continually of your goodness and your grace. Let us be reminded continually of your blood and what it covers. Let us be reminded continually that you are alive, that you are powerful, that you are glorious, and our lives are here to give you glory. Lord, this next week, I pray that we have opportunities to showcase your goodness. That we have opportunities to showcase your love and your grace and your mercy. That we have opportunities to glorify you in our jobs, in our schools, with our loved ones, with our friends, and with our family. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them, that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen.